Good morning again. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 4, verses, 1, uh, verses 12 through 22, uh, sorry, verse 13 through 22. And uh, we've been going through the book of Ruth for some time now. We, uh, I don't know how many weeks uh, we've been in the book of Ruth, but this is our last week in the book of Ruth. So uh, if, if you've uh, if you haven't been here, uh, you, you've missed a lot leading up to this point. I, I, I hope it's been good. I, I, I love the book of Ruth. Um, such a fun story of God's providence, God's work, God's grace in the midst of, in the midst of our sorrow. So uh, before, we, before we go ahead and read Ruth chapter 4, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you now because we long to hear from you. We long to hear of your grace. We long to hear of your Son. Uh, we long to uh, we long to draw closer to you, and we long for you to draw closer to us by your Spirit. We pray that you would do that now. We pray that you would pour out your Spirit in our midst. We pray that you would uh, soften our hearts to your Word. That you would give us understanding. That you would open our eyes to see Jesus more fully in the Scriptures. That through that we would we would draw near to you, uh, not just today, but today and tomorrow and every day from here on out. Uh, Father, be glorified in our midst now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Ruth chapter four, beginning in verse thirteen. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Well, it has become common in the past few months uh, to talk about the ordinary in the Christian life. So uh, the August issue of a, a magazine called Table Talk was about the ordinary Christian life. And then uh, Michael Horton, who wrote an article in that magazine, he just put out a book titled Ordinary. And the idea behind these things, and it's true, is that the Christian life progresses uh, by ordinary, everyday things. Well, this morning, as we look at the book of Ruth, we're going to see something similar, maybe a shade different from that, and that is how God's grace meets us in the midst of the ordinary. Now, for most of us, life is pretty ordinary. Uh, we have ordinary jobs and, and ordinary friends. We live in ordinary houses and ordinary neighborhoods, Sometimes we're, sometimes we're tempted to actually feel bad about that uh, because we, we want our lives to be spectacular, right? And uh, we, we either want uh, the prestige that comes with standing out from the ordinary 
Or, or we feel guilty because we're not out there somehow changing the world. Well, the book of Ruth is really about ordinary life. One commentator put it like this. He said, much of what we have been discussing in the book of Ruth is mundane. Harvesting, land inheritance, and care for widows. The book of Ruth does not feature any miracles, whether suspensions of natural law or angelic appearances to humans. There are no references to public worship or priestly ministration. No prophet thunders against the sins of God's people or calls for repentance or threatens exile or promises restoration. Except for mentioning the judges at the beginning and King David at the end, the book has a small town off the beaten path feel. The characters were not the movers and shakers of the ancient Near East. The events narrated would not have made the front page of the newspaper. See, the book of Ruth really is about ordinary life. But in it and through it, we see the extraordinary grace of God. In Ruth chapter 4, we see God show his extraordinary grace to Naomi and to all of Israel. And of course, as we look at the whole Bible, we see God show that grace to the world. And today we see God continue to do that for us, for us and through us, uh, to our friends and neighbors. We really have one point this morning as we look at this uh, section of Ruth, and that, and that is that God's extraordinary grace meets us in the ordinary. We don't have to go off and become monks to find God's grace. We don't have to go on retreat after retreat looking for some kind of a spiritual high. God's grace can find you right in the midst of the ordinary every day of your life. Well, first, let's look at God's extraordinary grace for Naomi. Remember where we've been so far. Uh, Naomi is an Israelite woman. She left her home, uh, she left her family, she left her friends so that her husband could find uh, work in a new town, only to lose her husband and her sons and end up a widow alone and far from home. And yet someone, uh, her daughter-in-law Ruth, sticks with Naomi she commits herself to her mother-in-law, which is probably the most extraordinary moment in the book. And yet Naomi remains kind of bitter in the beginning of the story. She, she thinks God is against her. Her life was full, but now it's empty and it's all God's fault. Well, these two women make the long trek back home to Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem, where Ruth happens to, to get a job picking grain in the fields of a generous man named Boaz. Ruth eventually proposes to this man, and then he goes to court on her behalf to win her hand in marriage. And we see a couple things in the life of Naomi here we, about how God's extraordinary grace enters into our very ordinary lives. Uh, the first is really just the simple fact that, that that grace does meet us in the midst of the ordinary. God's grace meets us in the midst of ordinary life. Notice how ordinary the story is up to this point. Uh, leaving home, finding work, losing loved ones, bitterness against God, returning home, getting a job, farming, generosity, proposals, courtrooms. I mean, these are not radical things. In, in fact, these, even aren't, they, these aren't even things that we would call religious things, right? These are just the everyday, ordinary things of life. But this is what makes up the book of Ruth. And then we have verse 13, which we read a moment ago. It says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. 
Again, normal things, marriage, conception, birth, right? all very normal. Now, Naomi, you remember at this point, had lost, up to this point, had lost everything. And she blamed God. She was bitter at his providence or his control in her life. And yet with the birth of this child, everything seems to have changed. And the women of the town recognize this. Notice verse 14 and following. Verse 14 says, then, then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And Naomi takes the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi, and named him Obed. See, the women of the town recognize that, that God has not abandoned Naomi, right? He has actually provided for her. Here he's provided what they call a redeemer. And, and at this point, they're not referring to Boaz. We've talked about him as Naomi's redeemer uh, throughout the book. They're not referring to Boaz. They were actually referring to Obed, her grandson. Why? Well, because Obed is the one who's going to redeem Naomi's life. He's going to give meaning back to Naomi's life. He's, he's going to be a restorer of life and a nourisher of her in her old age, according to verse 15. In one sense, uh, the writer's just saying that this son is going to care for her. And yet, if you're a widow who's lost everything, to have even one person who's going to care for you in your old age, that's not ordinary. That's, that's necessary, right? That's huge, right? Someone who's going to watch over you, someone who's going to care for you, someone who's going to provide for you. And, and in fact, the townswomen even later say, a son has been born to Naomi, which seems rather odd to us because the son was actually born to Ruth. But as far as these women are concerned, this grandchild right, of Naomi's was God's special gift to her. This child is God's way of saying, I, I haven't abandoned you, Naomi. I haven't turned my back on you. In fact, I've been working to bless you even in the midst of your trouble, even throughout the difficulties you've gone through in life. And so God demonstrates his love in, in the midst of the ordinariness of life for Naomi, and he does that for us as well. You know, rather than seek out the next spiritual high, we should look for signs of his love in the ordinary. When we're washing the dishes or when we're running errands, uh, when we're being patient or not so patient with our children, when we're helping our neighbors mend a broken fence, whatever it is, uh, just because there's nothing extraordinary happening doesn't mean that God is not at work. In fact, God is at work. He's at work in his people to transform us into the image of Jesus and he's at work through us to bring people to himself. God works through the ordinary. His plan is progressing forward in history, even imperceptibly. Right? The seed that, that, that goes into the ground is, is growing. It puts down roots imperceptibly. You can't see it, but just because it's below the surface, surface doesn't mean it's not there. It doesn't mean it's not working. And the mere thought, even for us, I hope, the mere thought that God might be at work in this that should give us a, a patience and a perseverance through life. If God is at work through this ordinary stuff, even when it's boring, it, it can be exciting because God's at work here. God's doing something in the midst of this stuff, in the midst of my life. Well, God's ordinary grace comes in the midst of ordinary life, 
God's extraordinary grace, comes in the midst of ordinary life. But second, we see in Naomi's life that that ordinary grace, it actually breaks into that ordinary life. It breaks through. Because something extraordinary does happen in verse 13. Uh, maybe you noticed it, right? The, Luth, the, the Lord gave Ruth conception. Now, there, there are one of two times in the book of Ruth that the Lord acts. The first is in chapter 1, verse 8. The Lord visited his people and gave them food. God provided for the empty bellies of his people. But now God visited Ruth and gave her a child, providing for her empty womb. God was here providing for Naomi. You know, early in the book, of course, God provided through the generosity of Boaz, who provided food for their family. Uh, he, he, he provides here through the giving of a son to care for her in her old age. But both of those, you notice, right, came through Ruth. And, and the, the, the uh, women of the town notice that in verse 15. They say, Ruth, they say something really amazing. They say, Ruth is worth more to Naomi than seven sons. Now that's, you know, that's a lot. Maybe we think, okay, seven sons, that's a lot of sons. But in that culture, that would be really extraordinary, right? Because here's a culture where the benefits of sons is emphasized, right? A son is, is just worth more in that culture, in their minds. And yet here, and also in that culture, the number seven is the number for per perfection. So here's Ruth, worth more than seven sons, right? That's unheard of talks about the value of her love for Naomi. And these women see in, in Ruth the, the, the love of God. Ruth is God's gift to Naomi, a, a gift of a friend, a gift of a companion for life's journey. And yet Ruth is the one who, who didn't abandon Naomi in her darkest hour. Ruth is the one who worked hard in, in the fields to get grain for Naomi. And Ruth is the one who conceived to give birth to a son for Naomi. And yet it's just at this point that, that God is actually breaking through the ordinary because Ruth's conception is remarkable. You may remember that Ruth is barren. Did, did you pick up on that in the book? Right? Did you notice that in the story? Ruth has been married before. She was married to a man named Malon for 10 years and didn't have any children. 10 years is a long time to have no child. And barrenness in any culture is extremely difficult, right? Especially for, for, for women, women who sometimes feel like they failed at being a woman if they can't have a child. That's not true, but women will feel like that. But it was even worse, again, in that culture, right, where women didn't go into the workplace, they didn't become business partners or run for political office, uh, to not be able to bear a child struck at the core of who you were. For 10 years, Ruth had been unable to conceive. But now God opens her womb. There's no fertility clinic. There's no in vitro fertilization, right? It's just God at work in Ruth. Now, I don't know whether this was a miracle or not. Uh, did God uh, somehow suspend the ordinary laws of nature or did he simply use them? I, I don't know. But it is remarkable. God took a barren womb and brought forth life. God's extraordinary grace breaks into the ordinary barrenness of the everyday and brings life. And, and when the extraordinary does break in, it's not us doing something amazing, right? Na Naomi couldn't provide herself with a child. Ruth couldn't provide Naomi with a child. She, she had proven that over 10 years. But God is doing something amazing that we could never do. 
God breaks in and brings life and gets the glory. God's extraordinary grace comes in the midst of the ordinary. It breaks into the ordinary. And third, we see in Naomi that God's extraordinary grace comes in the form of a servant son who comes to bring fullness and life. They, they, uh, Ruth has this child, and they say a son has been born to Naomi, and they name him Obed. Now, Obed means servant. And, and Obed is really a short, shortened form of the name Obadiah. Obadiah means servant of the Lord, but they drop the phrase of the Lord, and they just name him Obed, servant, which is interesting, and I think it's one of the writer of Ruth's uh, ambiguities that he loves so much. Because whose servant is Obed? Is he Obadiah, right? A servant of the Lord? Or, or what? And, and I think the answer is, of course, he, he is the Lord's servant, right? God had sent him in some ways to care for Naomi, sent this child. And yet at the same time, he's Naomi's servant, right? He's come to care for her needs, to provide for her in her old age. And so we have Obed, he's a servant of God and a servant of man. Obed, this servant child, is born. And we have this picture in verse 16 of of Naomi holding the child close to her. Her her arms are no longer empty, but they're once again full with God's blessing. And with the child, Obed, in Naomi's arms, this this conclusion of the book kind of acts as a defense of God's goodness and purposes in Naomi's life. Right? Even in the midst of her trouble. Naomi had blamed God in the beginning of the book, but he is working through all that mess in ordinary ways to bring about good things for his children. God's goodness for Naomi wins in the end. She's no longer empty but full. And, and kind of as a side note, but I, I do think it's so port- important for us as we are going through life, as we're going through struggles, as we're going through troubles, to remember that the story's not over yet. Right? We, we so often, in the midst of things, we want to complain or blame. We get upset and we wonder, what in the world is God doing? Well, we don't know what God is doing, and that's exactly the point. We need to let him play out the story. Let him bring the resolution in his time. Well, God had taken a, a lonely, empty, bitter widow and brought fullness and joy. He, not just a food instead of famine, but he provided a daughter-in-law worth more than seven sons and a grandson to care for her in her old age. Now, in, in some ways, this is a, a, a small, quaint story of God providing in the midst of trouble, of God's grace to, to one woman in filling her emptiness, in, in proving his love in the midst of her sorrow. And yet what's so interesting about the book of Ruth is the end of verse seven, uh, 17. The end of verse 17 says, uh, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Why would the writer add this, this note and the genealogy that follows in verse 18 to 22? Why would he add this at the end of the book of Ruth? It seems almost tacked on in the end here. And I think the point is the book of Ruth is about something bigger than Naomi. It's about something bigger than Ruth and bigger than Boaz and bigger than one child. This child who's born in obscurity, born in a backwater town of Bethlehem, who, this child is born to be the grandfather of a king. And not just any king, but the greatest king of Israel. 
the king who would establish rest for God's people, King David. In the end, we realize this story is not just about God's extraordinary grace to one woman, Naomi, but it's also about God's grace to Israel, to the whole nation. See, like Obed, who comes as a servant son of Naomi, God would later send David, Obed's grandson, as God's royal servant son for the nation. And remember, the book of Ruth begins in the days of the judges. These are the days when Israel was rebelling against God. There's no king in Israel. They face his judgments every day. They suffer at the hands of their enemies. They're even fighting among themselves in the book of Judges. But the book of Ruth ends with David, the great king who leads his people in worship and in battle, who unites Israel, who defeats all their enemies and brings rest to the land. The book of Ruth brings us from this time of anarchy and judgment and oppression to a time of Israel finding life in the land. What is it that makes this move in redemptive history? What is it that moves us from the days of Judges to the days of David? What do we see in the book of Ruth? What great thing happens to move from one to the other? Well, it's the ordinary acts of love of God's people, isn't it? The commitment of Ruth to her mother-in-law, the kindness of Boaz to the poor, the faithfulness of them both to God's law. God uses the ordinary to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. Again, there's no miracles in the book, in the book of Ruth. There, there are no headlines. There, there are no lights display. There are no viral YouTube videos, right? It, it's just God using everyday life. He, he can use miraculous things, but he normally works through ordinary things like loving your neighbor and helping those in need and obeying his commandments. And yet God didn't stop there with David, did he? The story goes on as we read through the scriptures. He shows his grace to Naomi. He shows his grace to Israel. And God shows his grace to the whole world. You know, one of Boaz's great descendants was King David. But David was not the greatest descendant of Boaz. Boaz has a greater descendant than David, King Jesus. Uh, Jesus is a, a greater king than David. He came to fight greater battles than David. He came to bring, bring a greater fullness than David. And yet even Jesus comes in what looks like an ordinary way. Think about it. His mother Mary uh, became pregnant out of wedlock. Her husband almost calls off the engagement. Jesus is born in poverty. He's raised in a little nowhere town of Bethlehem. He grows in wisdom. He works as a carpenter. He gets hungry and thirsty. He eats and he drinks. Some people love him and some people hate him. Then he's accused of a crime he didn't commit. The trial is a sham. The politicians wash their hands of the matter. He's wrongly convicted, and then he dies. If you had seen this, much of it you might have thought was very ordinary. In fact, the people who accused Jesus of being born of immorality in his day didn't think anything amazing was going on. The people who grew up with Jesus didn't understand what all the hype was about when he came to their town. His death to many people then and throughout history has simply been viewed as a tragedy. And yet, as ordinary as it might have looked, God was doing something extraordinary in the midst of that. The birth of Jesus is not the illegitimate pregnancy of an unwed mother, but the incarnation of the Son of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. The death of Jesus was not the premature end of a great man, but the self-sacrifice of the Son of God on behalf of his people to satisfy the wrath of the Father, to bring forgiveness and life. 
How do we know that, that, that it, it wasn't all quite ordinary? How do we know that we haven't read into the ordinary story of an ordinary man and read in extraordinary meaning? Well, because again, God did do something extraordinary, didn't he? God did break into that ordinary. Just as God brought life to Ruth's barren womb, God brought life to Jesus. First, of course, in the womb of Mary in the incarnation, but then second, in the grave. God brought life to Jesus' dead body. How do we know that we aren't reading the extraordinary into Jesus' life? Well, because of the resurrection. In, in the resurrection, we see God breaking into the ordinary, ordinariness of life and bringing something new, resurrection, fullness of life. And this resurrected Jesus comes, uh, like Obed with Naomi and like David with the nation, Jesus comes as the royal servant son. He comes as a servant of God. He comes to serve man. He, he comes to be, as Obed was, a restorer of life and a nourisher of us in our old age. You know, we have sinned according to the Bible and we have grown old and our bodies decay and grow sick and ultimately die. Well, Jesus comes to serve us. He comes to bring fullness where there was want. He comes to bring life where there was death. Yeah, on the one hand, that is physical. He takes our death on the cross, uh, the punishment for our sin. And by dying in our place and rising from the dead, he conquers death. He gives us the hope of rising from the dead one day. Uh, though sickness and old age and death might overtake us now, we have this hope that, that, that though all of those things uh, we, we face in this life, and though death might overtake us, death does not have the last word. Because our hope is in the future, our hope is in the resurrection. When God's grace breaks into this world for the final and the greatest time, we have the hope of the resurrection rising from the dead just like Jesus. And yet the life that Jesus brings, it's more than physical and in the future, isn't it? It's not just something that we hope for. It's more than that. It's something that we experience right now. Jesus comes to bring a fullness of life now. And the fullness of life that Jesus brings is, is a relationship to our Father in heaven, the creator of the universe, the one who made us and loves us. You know, we daily seek fullness in the stuff of this world, don't we? Uh, we, we seek fullness in whatever we, we, we think might break the monotony, whatever might break through the ordinary. We seek fullness in the next big thing, right? In, in a promotion in our jobs or, or in food or in sex or in the newest blockbuster movie or in relationships or even in family. We are looking for fullness and yet all of these things disappoint us and leave us empty on some level. Because no matter what the hype, these things are ordinary. They're, they're just another part of this world. And we were made for something more. We were made for a relationship to our Father, the maker of heaven and earth. The one who is not ordinary in any way. In fact, there's a word in the Bible for not ordinary for God. It's the word holy, right? It means God's not ordinary. He's holy. He is different. He is distinct from this world. That's what we were made for. We were made for a holy God. Well, Jesus came in very ordinary human skin to bring the extraordinary grace of God to the world, that in him we might find reconciliation to our Father and life forevermore. Do you believe that? I mean, when you look at Jesus, do you see a great human teacher or, or just a simple lover of the poor or maybe a champion of human rights, but in the end, a mere man who died a, a tragic death? 
Or when you look at Jesus, do you see the Son of God who came to die for sin and reconcile us to the Father? And yet it didn't end there, did it, right? I mean, God is continuing to work. His extraordinary grace continues to meet us even today in the midst of the ordinary. It meets us as we gather as his people. This extraordinary grace of God in Jesus comes to us through very ordinary means. As a group of people assembled together to sing and to pray and to study the Bible, right? To show one another kindness and encouragement. These things don't look spectacular, do they? They're very ordinary. And yet through these ordinary things, God holds out Jesus to us. And through the message of Jesus, he breaks into our hearts with his grace and with his love. And he draws us closer to him. He gives us more and more of that fullness of life that comes through knowing him and relating to him. And God's grace flows through us as we go about our week, as we struggle to love our spouses well and raise our kids well and love our neighbors well and do our jobs well, as we create as artists and study as students and work as businessmen and play as parents, as we do these ordinary things, trusting in the love and blood of Jesus, pointing others to his greatness in word and in deed, Jesus' extraordinary grace continues to break through, to come to our neighbors and our co-workers and our classmates and our friends. Right? Jesus' extraordinary grace, by, that, by those means, is praised through our rather ordinary, everyday lives. Let's pray. Our Father, we do need your grace, and we, we need it. Uh, we, we need it. We need it to break into our hearts. We need you to create new life there, inside of us we need you to remake us we want to know what fullness of life really means we need jesus to be a nourisher of us father we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us that you would give us faith in jesus that you would help us to trust in him and turn to him day by day we pray these things in jesus name amen